Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I'm Sam North. Inspiration is one of the best ways to transform. Conversations with Leaders is a bi-weekly interview with key industry players, CEOs, financial authors, and professional money managers worldwide. Get valuable insights from the people who've seen it all. Are you ready? Here we go. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the uh, of the podcast. Here at eToro, we have teamed up with Transfer Market to look into a wealth of data to find out how clubs operate within the transfer market. We looked at factors such as whether clubs buy young and sell for a higher price, or is it typically to buy players from abroad? Is it to add the finishing touches to an already strong squad or is it to focus just on their academy and homegrown talent? Today, I'm joined by Joe Cole, who will discuss some of these findings. Joe, who has played over 50 times for England, scoring one of the best individual goals the nation has ever seen, also made hundreds of appearances at club level for clubs including West Ham, Chelsea, Liverpool and Lille. Since retirement from the beautiful game, Joe has coached at Chelsea's infamous youth side and does punditry for ITV and BT Sport, as well as regularly writing for The Telegraph. Joe, how are you? Good to have you on. I'm very well, Sam. Good to be here. Fantastic. Well, look, we'll, we'll get going. Uh, and the first question uh, is, from an investing standpoint, one of the biggest hindrances for investors is that they will quite rarely invest abroad. And actually what they'll do, they'll spend a lot of their focus in their own market and have a heavy home bias. In this report with Transfer Market, you can see the benefits of buying players from other leagues to then sell for higher fees. The question around this is how important do you think a club's scouting system is? Well, a, cl- a club's scouting system is of paramount importance. It's, it's, it depends. The, I suppose the question should, should be, you know, what is their scouting? You know, is it is it the old school boots on the ground type things? Is it getting on the phone? You know, you, a lot of clubs disregard that. In fact, you know, a network of, of players or ex-players, you, you can call someone up, what do you think of this player? And they can go there, put their eyes on them and, and, and they have their expertise and that nuance, like, the, like the, the old-fashioned scout, if you like. And then you've also got the, you know, some clubs heavily invested in the data, you know, that want up-to-date data of every game, you know, and, and that's important as well. And I just think if you're going to have a holistic approach to it, you you, 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 you can't, even if we've all the money in the world, you cannot extensively scout on, with both of them parameters, that the boots on the floor and the data side of it. You can't do it for everywhere. So you can pinpoint certain parts of the world, which are good. Like, I mean, there's, you know, Brentford and they have had their links with, with the Scandinavian market, haven't they? You know, you, it's been traditional when Arsene Wenger come in. He had a, he had a, it was very much more, um, it was more quaint back then that Arsene Wenger had an insight into the French league and he ended up bringing over Petit, Vieira, 
Anelka, Henri. So you you must just you just got to have a plan, whatever your strategy may be, and you've got to stick to it because what will happen is results cause panic in football clubs, and we have a real way they plan. Right, we're going to be we're going to be dealing with this type of player, and we want this is the. We, we want someone from between the ages of 18 and 24 and they need to have played this many games and this is, you know, need to hit these, these stats on these type of things. Then all of a sudden, transfer window comes by, you lost a few games, a few players are injured and you're getting agents ringing you up basically like dodgy car dealers trying to sell your, sell your, sell your players. And that's, unfortunately, the best clubs are the ones that tend to not panic stick to their plans, stick to their guns, you know, invest in the scouting department. You also understand when they get a player right, you know, don't just look, don't just think about which players work, which players didn't work. You know, we spent a lot of money on this player, for instance, it didn't work out for us. And then they might have a, they might, you know, go and go and delve into why that went wrong. Um, but I think as well, when you get a player right and things go, and they come in and they're good and you sell them on for more, why, why did that work? Who, 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 who was accountable for that player? What part, what part when you have your scouting meetings, um, who, put their, who put their hat on this player? Who was confident? You, know? and you need to have a way of sort of marking it and a real strategy of doing it. And if you can do that, you'll, you'll be successful over a long period of time. You can always have flash in the pan scouts that go and find three or four players and then you know they're just there on the day but if you have a strategy backed up by data but also don't disregard the you know the the the, the eye of the, the football the footballing wisdom of the scout and then if you put all them things together and, and stay stay in a plan you, you you've got something there it's panic it's panic at football clubs that, that causes the bad buyers yeah, really interesting. I mean, two points that I got from what you just said there, strategy and plan, which investors will know are, are paramount to success. Just before we do move on to the next question, how were yourself, how were you scouted? Was it a case of you playing down the park and, and the scout was there or a bit more than that? that that's pretty much it. Playing, um, playing uh, park football, grassroots football for my Sunday league team. And and that was the way it was back then. You know, you had, yeah. you had, say for instance, a London team. They'd only really scout in London, in their area mm. of London. Then there three or four guys that'd be going out. They'd have a working knowledge of, they'll have a working knowledge of the teams, the local teams, the best teams. Talk to people, you know, because we didn't have the they didn't have the technology, the communications there. And then you then they find they'd like the the, the a kid to be playing there. They think he's a good player speak to the manager, find out where the parents or the guardians were, and they give you a card, exchange numbers, and then you get go and you get a trial for the club. They'd ask you to come in for a few weeks. And then, you know, it, there was nothing really planned other than that. That was the pretty much it in a nutshell. All scouting, developing players come in. Sometimes they have one look at them. think, no, not for yeah. us. They don't come back. Sometimes I keep a look at them for six weeks, eight weeks year and before they give them a contract the contract would be a year and it really not wasn't worth the you know it was just it was not it was just very much it was the old old time old days it was just very much eyes on players back then there was yeah. no 
real communications. And the good scouts were the ones, the grafters, that would go and watch two games on a Saturday, two games on a Sunday, two games on a Friday night. You know, like anything, they do their homework, they do their due diligence. They build up a wisdom over years of watching young players. You know, and I remember speaking to guys who scouted me. And as a kid, you'd be thinking, well, he's, he's a really good player. He's a good player, but they, he, his game would have been, ba- he would have been physically bigger and taller. Yeah. And, and then the scout would be going, no, nah, he's not got a chance because the scout would see the, the footballing intelligence and the technique. And also they probably, they probably look at the parents as well. You know, cause if you use a really small kid, the dad's six foot three, the mum's five foot 10, chances mm. are he's, you know, so they, they'll look at that. There was none of this measuring bones and <laughs> predictions of growth, which they do in academies now. Just look at the mum and dad and look at the kind of size and shape they're going to be. So um, back then it was very, it was very grassroots scouting. Yeah, different world back then. I mean, speaking of sort of grassroots yeah. and into academy, some of the, the top academies for producing revenue uh, for the club include teams like Benfica, Ajax, even Real Madrid, actually, which I was a little bit surprised to see that they were at the top of that. But from a club's yeah. perspective, how important is it to have a good youth system? Them statistics, they, 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 don't, they don't surprise me with all the big names you read because football is still a business, even at a young level. So the 15, 16, 17-year-olds who sign professional contracts they're getting paid big money, and this changes these young men's lives. You know, so straight away from a child, really, that age, there is a business that looks on them as a commodity, and they're prepared to invest in that commodity by giving them good wages, good, you know, good situation. Their family might be living in another part of the country. They'll be bringing them in. They'll be looking after the family. Um, you know, and that's that's facts of it. That's what it is. You know. The, the, play, the, the kids, the players, they get looked at as commodities as footballers. Mm. And that goes from as soon as they get into an age when they're going to start to affect the game in a professional game, that's what it is. And they're an asset and the asset will go up, the asset will go down depending on how they develop. So the, the big clubs, what they tend to do, you've got to have the structure, you've got to have the infrastructure in place where you've got the training facility, you've got the best coaches, you've got the best trained coaches. You're looking at all aspects of the player. You're looking at the you're looking at the physical side, the technical side, the tactical side, the mental side. You know the the lifestyle. All of these things are coming in place. And if these big clubs who make the most money, they're able to they're able to produ- uh, give the most money to the academies to make these players. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they get the best players in the country or wherever they're scouting can get them because they can pay them the most money. Um, and that is uh, that's that's the fact of that's the fact of academy football now. It's a biz- it's a business, you know, um, and and football is football's big business. Football is. Do do you think? I mean, on that point, do you think a a high performing club could actually perform without an academy, or is it just so essential now for all the reasons you, you mentioned? Um, no, I think it's. Uh, I think it's uh, it can be done. You know, Brentford didn't have an academy for a long time. They was very, they was very um, creative with how they how they perceive their footballing business. There'll be some clubs in the lower leagues that have, you know they've, they've been investing less and less into their academy because there's no disposable income. They've got mm. to put the disposable income on buying 
a League Two centre forward who's going to keep them in the league, so they're just surviving. They have got no disposable income where they go, right, we, we're going to set aside 20% of our budget and we're going to invest in the local people, players, kids in our area because they know come 15 or 16, if that player they do produce from the age of 7, 8, 9, 10, he's, they're only producing him to sell him on to a, a bigger club mm. for compensation. So it's not like they can develop it like... Like, say, for instance, a top club can buy a player at 15, 16, develop him for four years. He plays 100 games going out on loan. He's now, he's now a, an asset. So whatever it's costed them over the four years in wages, you know, it clearly works because players have a value, you know. And, but the, the lower league teams have... It's like they're spinning plates constantly. They can't invest into their, into their youth academy, uh, unfortunately, unless... unless They've got an ambitious owner, and if an ambitious mm. owner's coming in and he's got money to keep them in the league, develop the ground, develop the brand at the top end, but he's also a clever owner will go right. We're gonna we're gonna try and hold on to our our players. We're gonna do this, do that, and we're gonna pay. You know, it football and finance finance finances is intrinsically entwined. Um, like like everything in the world at the you know is is very much. It's very much there's a there's a money element to it, and a business mm. element to it. But with football, the problem comes in when you, it's, there's 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 kids at that age, and also and also when at the other end of it, when you have it's so much part of the culture of people, and football means more to people. You know, if you're mm. a fan in the street of their team, you know they could have American owners or owners from Saudi or owners from Qatar or, or Abu Dhabi, but they still feel it's their club. Their club, their grandparents yeah. have passed it down to their dad is passed it. So football is a very strange business in that sense. It's very big business. It's very corporate. But then on the other side of it, it's also, it's local and it means a lot. And it's, you know, it's part of people's DNA. It's their essence. And it's the, the, the fans and the people, they, they are the, the owners, the custodians of the club. So it's a, it's a tricky balance business-wise. Yeah, it really is. And it's quite interesting just on, on you know, the aspect that, you know, players are commodities. And, you know, <clears throat> for example, AS Monaco have made a lot of money from selling players, players that they bought yeah. young and then, you know, sold on. I mean, Mbappe, you've got Martial, you've got Thomas Lamar, you've got Chouamani, for yeah. example, where they've gone for, for big money. So, yes, maybe one of them came through the academy, but they've still got good scouts, good coaching. Yeah. You know, if you were a young player, Joe, would you be looking at how previous players at that club have done and want to see a clear path to success? Would that be in your decision-making? Yeah, it would be part of my decision. You know, you'd be part of my decision, mate. A lot of that was part, when I went to West Ham. When I, when I, you know, it was a great academy at the time. You had, you know, Rio Ferdinand had come through, Frank Lampard had come through. You know, I had the path in front of me. And that was part of the reason I signed for him. Also, the part of the reason was the, the coaches and the scouts and the people around the club who were good, good people, who, who treated, treated me well. So that was the... I suppose the structure and, and, and the infrastructure of the club, uh, you know, and thirdly was we had a great youth team and I could win things. And what's more at 14, 15, you, you want to be with the only thing that was important to me. I didn't have, there wasn't no great master plan. I didn't have agents sitting behind me plotting my route to the first team at that age. It was, I'm happy at West Ham. Yeah. 
Plus, they seem to they seem to bring players through. Um, let's sign there. I loved it, and that was pretty much it. But I think nowadays, a young player as um, he will a good top young player at fifteen. Is there's so much information out there now that there there be there be pathways and there be considerations and should we do this and should we do that? Should we go to Germany and come back? Mm-hmm. There's so much can happen. The, the main things that if our advice would be to any parents of aspiring young footballers is 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 always go with where the kid's happy because that's the main thing. You have to remember they're still children at that time. So um, my my I would be I wouldn't change anything from what I've done. I think it still applies for today. If my kid my boy was a foot wanted to be a footballer at fifteen sixteen, I'd be asking him, where are you happy? Because if you're happy and you play football, you'll progress. And there is no secrets in football. You know if you play if you if you wherever you are in the country in the world now there's so many eyes on it if you're playing and you're playing well someone will pick you up yeah i mean very very solid advice there about yeah. the happiness and i suppose that's key in in many aspects uh moving on now and focusing on on red bull leipzig who appeared in the article a few times they've bought players outside of europe's top leagues quite consistently and actually in the last few years they bought seven players outside of that top five so this strategy we could say is working well for them as they haven't actually finished outside the top four for for quite a few years actually four years in total and they're on course to make that five how important is it for a club to have a clear structure and blueprint when it comes to transfers um, I think yeah, the Red Bull the Red Bull model is interesting um, they've got a clear they, I think they're the most structured team they've got a group of clubs that they move players between they have a specific way of playing um, footballing culture so they, they everything's very streamlined now I think as a business the Red Bull model I think is for what it wants to achieve that like, you know the, obviously Leipzig are, are, are the big biggest team in the group you know they, they've got an American influence but they you know that way of playing you know that way of playing you're going to be able to identify players easily because it's very specific in everything they do tactically on the pitch so that it's I think it's easier for them to identify players that can fit into them clearly no no player over the age of 28 29 is going to be on their agenda they want young players who can run because they play a physically demanding game whether they're one nil up or whether they're five nil down, they play the same way. Now that has its limitations because I think it makes, from a footballing perspective, I played against the Red Bull teams um, when I was in America, and it was very eye-opening because of the way they play, very structured. In this situation, we do this. It takes a lot of the decision making out of the players' minds. I feel playing against it, so I think it has a ceiling with that. I think the top teams couldn't play like that. Because you have to adjust within games, it's more of a rhythm. Yeah. So, but that's why they think right. We're not going to go for top players because top players are going to want to. They're going to want to impose their. Say, for instance, they bought someone from Real Madrid and they bought someone from Barcelona who's experienced success playing a certain kind of way. It's harder to then integrate them into that way. You buy in players. Leipzig teams are a step up. They're going to buy into the system, and then the system works. But. I'll be stunned if a, if a team playing the way that the Red Bull teams do ever win, ever win the, the Leipzig team, if they ever win the, the Champions League or, the, or even the German League, I'll be surprised because I don't think, I feel like you need a little bit more to win leagues. Yeah, no, interesting. Uh, there's, there's a saying 
Uh, and you've probably heard of it. I actually heard someone on Sky Sports News say yesterday that attack wins you games, but defence wins you titles. Now, you were part of the 2004-2005 Premier League winning team under Mourinho, which boasts the best defence the league has ever seen. I mean, Czech, Cavallo, Ferreira were all brought in the beginning of that season. What influence did these players have? They, they were great players, great winners. Um, great players put together... You know, the main thing is the players. You've got to have a strategy, you've got to have a structure. Um, but it's got to be, they were great players. They come in. We was, you know, a fantastic team. We pride, prided ourselves on not conceding goals. Um, and that's then that started from the top right the way through. And so many, so many factors to go for why, why a team is successful in whatever style they choose to play. But recruitment, we signed great players. We had a great manager and we, you get on a roll. It's, it's very, very simple. But sometimes it takes a long time. You know, sometimes it takes a long time to do it. But it all happened very, very quickly at Chelsea, which we were very lucky it worked like that. Sometimes it don't. There's a lot of teams that waste a lot of money. Um, but in the early days at Chelsea, there was more hits than misses in terms of how much we paid for players and their output and, and what we got. As an Arsenal fan, Joe, you, you broke my heart with Chelsea many, many times. So I can't thank you for that. But um, moving on to and actually still focusing on Chelsea, your old club has been the biggest spender since Bowley's takeover. Are you confident yeah. that their approach will lead to success down the line? Are there any risks of spending too much at once? There's risks. There's huge risks. They've spent a lot of money. They've, they've obviously got this strategy of buying the players committing to them and paying it over the course of the contracts. You know, this is new. These guys coming in from the financial world and with a sports background, you know, they're, they've got, it's new. It's, it's no one knows. And I'm, I'm pretty sure even, even the, boy, the, the people doing it, they, they don't know. They think it's, they've done their due diligence. They've had a look at the structures. They've chosen a path. They've got a plan. And now it's, we've got, a, this plan's going to be, drawn out over the next two, three, four years. It's not This season's not important for Chelsea mm. in, mm. in the, the scheme of things. This is a huge turnover the club's doing. And, and they had a massive ground. They had to spend massive money because there was a massive ground from Liverpool, uh, from Man City. Mm. Like, that's the benchmark. The four times out of the last five years, champions. And Chelsea are still far away from them. So you have to spend money because they're going to spend money. They just bought Erling Haaland in. So they had to spend money. They have spent money. Had they spent it wisely... Time will tell. Yeah, fingers crossed for for all Chelsea fans out there. Uh, According to the report, Arsenal's return on investment has been pretty good over the last few years. Uh, Are you impressed by the job Arteta is doing? And and how much of that is down to the club and Arteta having a clear strategy? Yeah, I think it's... I think, first of all, we need to say very, very well done to Mikel Arteta because he's come under fire by a lot of... um, over the last few years... We have to also remember that he's already won a trophy. You know, he mm. won the FA Cup in his first season. You know, so he's, he's a winner. He's, he's, brought, he's been brave. He handled Aubameyang fantastically well. Um, big player for the club, Aubameyang, but he wasn't capable of, of doing what Mikel, Mikel wanted. And he yeah. dealt with that. I thought he's brought the young players on. Fantastic. Um, I, I've got nothing but praise for him. That my only concern for Arsenal with the second half of the season is is the the mentality of the team, and I don't mean that derogatory to the players because I, I think 
some of my favourite players are playing for Arsenal. I love watching Odegaard. I love watching Saka. I just think they're playing on they're playing on a passion. They're playing on an energy, and they're playing on the edge. The manager looks like he's on the edge constantly, and that's something I, I just they need to come through. They need to come through a bit of fire before I can finally say that I think they'll win the league. So they've lost this game. They've got Man City in a few weeks. I think the Man City game is going to be a real, a real, that'll be tell me whether this Arsenal team, can they keep their composure in that game? And if they can, yeah. if, they, if they can, then I think they can do it. Yeah, big, big test. And, and I guess in, in, the, in the short term memory, we can say Arsenal were sort of up and coming to chase the title challenges of recent years. And another team that's up and coming, you could potentially say, is Newcastle. Mm. I know obviously they're a very historic club and, and, and so on, but I'm talking about right now. Yeah. Uh, let's say you were in charge of Newcastle, whether yeah. that be the manager or transfer director, whatever. How mm. would you play it? I mean, they're in a situation where money seems unlimited yeah. and they want to challenge Europe's top elites in the years to come. Would you buy young players, buy experience, buy homegrown abroad? What would be the Joe, plan, Joe Cole plan to succeed? <clears throat> it wouldn't be much different to what Dan Ashworth and Eddie Howe's doing. I think they've done a great job. I think Dan mm. Ashworth as well, what he'd done at the FA, to what he'd done at Brighton, to now what he's doing at Newcastle, I think he is, you know, he, he'd be, I, I know him a little bit, Dan, I've met him a few occasions, very impressive man, um, really good at his job. I think he's done it well. They've they, they bought smart. They got a coach in in Eddie Howe who seems to get the best out of players. Um, they've done a great job at Bournemouth. I, I think he, I think he was ha- harshly judged at Bournemouth mm. really when, when, after he got relegated because what he done there was nothing short of miraculous at a club like that. Um, and the last season soured it for him a little bit. But um, so my, I wouldn't be doing much difference than what I was doing. I, I think they've been smart. You know, they, they seem to have got the structure in the back right. Buying younger players, I think, is the next. I would be them if I was Newcastle now. I'll be scouring the world and going to get. I'll be scouring the world and getting the best players under the age of twenty-one. Mm. And you'd have to pay them a premium. You'd have to pay a premium for them. I say, look, come, come here and be part of this project, and we'll develop with you. You might not, you might not be good enough to go into a Man City and play straight away. But I think that Alvarez signing at Manchester City. That type of player would have been yeah. perfect for Newcastle. Just on the cusp of that greatness, best you're one of the best young players that will bring them in, become a hero there, um, with a spine in the team that they've already got. Um, I'd also be looking at players like Conor Gallagher on the fringes teams at Chelsea and say, look, you want to come and be part of a, be a huge part of it here? They've got to identify players like that. Which I think they're probably doing anyway. Yeah, I mean, what a club to to be a hero yeah. as well with their fan base. Yeah. Okay, and now moving on to our last question, just before the quick fires to uh, finish. In investing, there's there's a big word everyone tries to avoid, which is FOMO, fear of missing out, buying something when really you should hold off. Do you like to see clubs not overpaying for players where they might have a value and refuse to go over it? Or do you think if a club wants to buy the player, they should just go out and pay whatever it takes to get them? How can the club find that balance? Yeah, well, the clubs, but you've got to be very disciplined. Like you have to, in investing, I suppose it's the same thing. And like, because of the 
the unique nature of football, where it plays on your emotions, it plays on the, the owner's emotions, his ego, everything will come into play and they'll all be sitting there. And it's exciting. You know, it's been, it's been proven to be exciting because of the game championship manager. How addictive was that for everyone? You know, so imagine that that's effectively owners and people sitting on that border are playing that game for real. And, and the, the thrill of winning a game, the thrill of being right on an investment, the thrill of something like that is what drives people. You have to be disciplined and a player has a price. And if it's above that price, then you have to go to player number two on the list, player number three on the list, player number four on the list. And you just have to be very clear in your mind the value of the player and what you can afford. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wise words. Okay, look, we've got three quickfire questions uh, to finish. Obviously, yeah. you can take your, your time in answering. But number one, uh, how much do you reckon a prime Joe Cole would cost in today's market? Oh, that's a difficult question. The market's changed completely. Um, yeah. Ah. Uh, you know, you, you can't, I couldn't give you an answer and be, <laughs> and be humble. <laughs> no matter what figure I say, it's going to sound like you're having yourself. But I suppose I'm a similar player to like, um, like a Mason Mount. Mm. I could say Jack Grealish, but Jack's the most expensive player of, apart from, so it's yeah. really hard to put a price on it. I've, um, yeah, I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to dodge that question there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, good answer. I'm going for a hundred million anyway. Um, but, I want ten percent of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, next question, and there's a few players that uh, are in this bracket. Uh, do you think a big price tag can have a psychological impact on a player? Yeah, so much can have a psychological impact on player, and that's why when you're investing. That's why when, you, when football clubs are investing in players, they need to remember they're investing in human beings and, and not a product or a commodity because you can buy a player, for instance, who's worth the money, you get a good deal, he's a great player, something might happen in his private life, you know, that might switches it, you know. That's without the physical injuries, you know, and that's, you know, he might not settle at your club for some reason. His wife might not settle. His kids might not settle. There's so many factors um, that can, you know, so definitely, without doubt, the price tag plays a part, you know, plays a part on on the factor, the risk factor of signing a player. Can they deal with that, with that, like that sort of level of um, expectation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, Joe, if, if you were a teenage prospect mm. playing outside one of the, the sort of the top five European leagues, mm. would you want to go straight to a big club first, or would you want to go to and no disrespect to these clubs like a Brian, a Brighton, or a Red Bull, or an Ajax, where you you might be guaranteed more minutes mm. uh, and then get your big move after that? How would you want to play it? I, I, I think, like I said, it's hard for me to put that answer that question. As a six, thinking of how I thought as a 16, 17, or 18 year old man, because mm. the amount of mistakes you make at that age, I would probably at that age myself go, right, I want to go to Real Madrid, yeah. Chelsea, Man City, because <laughs> I'd be thinking I could go straight in there. But if it was my son, who was a talented mm. player, I would now, with the knowledge I've accrued and how I, you know, what I know about the game, I'd probably say, go somewhere where you've 
they've got to develop you like 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 a Red Bull, like an Ajax, like a Brighton, like a Benfica. Mm. Go somewhere where if they pay you big money, it's in the coach's interest, the director of football's interest, the owner's interest to make sure that you play well. If you go mm. to a club where they're buying five players in your position, then it's all on you. And sometimes when it's all on you, it's great, but sometimes it's still out of your hand. Because if, if the manager thinks player B is better than you, or player C is better than you, they're going to play, you're not going to play minutes and it's going to stunt your development. So my advice, to, if it was my own son, would be to do it that way. But knowing myself as a 17-year-old, I would have done it completely the other way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine yeah. that. I can imagine many people would be the same. Yeah. Look, Joe, it's it's been fantastic to to have you on and get your insights into all of these points. And I think, you know, from an investing standpoint, there's a lot of um, comparisons we can draw from the investing world to the football world and this report with Transfer Market too. So, Joe, thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you very much, Sam. Enjoyed it. Take, Take care. care. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.